Okay, just a quick announcement. Uh, this coming Friday, Elwin's Joy Card Making, 8, uh, 6, uh, 30 p.m. Homeless Ministry, this coming Saturday, 9 to 10 a.m. And Church Picnic, October 23rd, here at TMBC. And to all women, Women's Ministry is having its first uh, meeting at October 21st, 6 p.m. to be led by Debbie Bissett and Ara Gonzalez. And please make sure to get a copy of survey before you leave, and also please make uh, yourself available this coming October 9th at uh, 4.30 p.m. for questions and answers. Shall we pray? Lord God, thank you for this wonderful day where we could uh, gather and worship you. Lord, we ask that you will give us a humble heart as we listen to your word and sing praises to you. We believe, Lord, that all praises belong to you both in heaven and here on earth. And we ask, Lord, that you will continue to minister to us as we listen and ponder upon your words. Speak to us, Lord, personally, that we will not leave this place unchanged. All this we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read a scripture for you. If you're, if 
familiar with the Psalms, the last few verses or the last few Psalms are directed towards worshiping God and ways to worship God. And this is Psalm 149. We did 150 just recently. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song. Praise him in the assembly of the godly. Let Israel celebrate its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and lyre. For Yahweh takes pleasure in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the godly celebrate in triumphal glory. Let them shout for joy. Amen. Let's sing together, How Deep the Father's Love for Us.
this song has such a powerful message. I'll tell you what, we're still going to let Lynn preach today, but that was quite a message, wasn't uh, it? Amen. Uh, All right. We're going to sing Your Love, O Lord. Also, um, we're going to have some folks that are going to come and pick things up if people cannot get them back to the church. But either in this folder that will be on Miss Beth's door, 
and I had some people already today put them in the offering box so again she picks up that or Larry picks up that with her and so they will go back to the office so if you could do that if you have not gotten one I have plenty see that so um, if you have not gotten one please let me know I'll be around and about today and if you need one mail to your home or to someone else that you know is not getting here please uh, please do that uh, and remember that next Sunday afternoon at 430 we'll be coming together to go over um, some of the things that are in here share some information answer some questions and then as we get the information back on how everybody put together we'll let you know that but my biggest thing as a couple of people reminded me today I appreciate <clears throat> everything that you're doing as far as filling it in but the biggest thing you need to be doing is remembering that it's God's will not your own okay please remember that it's helpful for us as a team to see some of your input and what your thoughts are but the biggest thing we need is for you to be praying for God's will please do that thank you very much Good morning, Tucson Mountain. Good morning. The acronym for BIBLE, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth. Right? You've heard that? Do you believe that? Yes. Do we all practice that? Yeah. Uh, some of you did not answer to the best of your abilities. You know what, I do want to reiterate what Linda said. Regardless of what happens, I know there's some tense feelings about some of this, all right? These surveys about what the Pastor Search Committee is doing, I need everybody to participate. I want all of you to fill out the surveys, send them back in. They need to correlate that information and really see what you guys want as far as a pastor goes. And I want to remind you today what the real purpose of a pastor is. I've really been, I've really been debating about doing this sermon. We're taking a break from Revelation for today so that we can get this out on the table because I want you guys to understand, I know, I know some of you would like to see me be the pastor, okay? I understand that. And, and I would like that position if that is the case but I'm not going to lobby for it and I'm not going to fight for it it's a situation where I believe a man is called of God and he needs to be placed in that position by God okay so I want God's will to be done I pray and hope that all of you want God's will to be done now with that said if you ask the typical church member what the duties of a pastor were most of them would say we don't know You ask another group and they say, well, he is to preach the sermons. He is to be available when everybody needs or wants him, day or night. And that's the truth. Okay? But here's the problem. The duties of a pastor are often very depending on the mentality of the church. Now, I want you to hear me. I want you to listen very carefully to everything I'm saying today because... If I meet the criteria to even be able to apply for that position, then what I want you to understand is this is where I'm coming from as a pastor also. But those of you watching on TV or listening on audio, you need to understand this is for every congregation 
and there are pastors that are out there. Because a lot of pastors are put in some precarious situations. And this is for these pastors also and for their congregations. There's two, I found two distinct differences in pastoral roles as far as the congregations are concerned about a pastor. There's the traditional, and all this is on your outlines. Now listen, today we've done a little different. You'll need to follow your outline to read some of the scriptures because there's so much scripture, there was no way they were going to get it on the screen. All right? So you'll need to read your outline when we hit those scriptures. Some of those scriptures may just be on the screen, the references to them, and then you're going to have to follow along in your bulletin. Okay? Just so you know. So if you need a bulletin and you want one, a couple people are walking to the back, I'm going to pick on them and say, raise your hand if you want a bulletin, and they'll bring you one. All right? For centuries, people viewed the role as a pastor as the servant caregiver. Now, this is the traditional role. They were supposed to teach and preach all the traditional doctrine. All the care, they were supposed to do all the caregiving, visitation, counseling, comforting, taking care of the needs of the people, performing all the rites of passages, baptisms, weddings, funerals, administration and orchestration of all meetings, and they were supposed to attend all meetings, put together the bulletin, develop all the programs for the church in regard to evangelism and discipleship, and finally serve as a primary ambassador of the church to the community. Many people today still expect their pastor to do all that. Now, that is great. I saw two different articles in the last two weeks that said the average size. I want you guys to think about this. This makes us a big church. And I know some of you say, well, we go to that little Baptist church down the road. Stop saying that. We're not little. All right? The average attendance at churches right now is 60 people. That's the average. That's the average, all right? 60 people. That'd be like this group over here. You with me? 60 people. We're not a small church based on today's numerical numbers, numerical figures, all right? So now, in the 70s and 80s, this started to change. There was a more contemporary mindset of pastoral duties, Many stated or started to see the rule of pastor as a CEO leader. Now, a lot of this is information, but a lot of this is going to be scriptural when we get into those scriptures. And I want you to listen very carefully to what those scriptures say a pastor's duties are. And this is the only way I know how to be a pastor, the way the Bible tells me to be a pastor. All right? Many people saw the role of pastor as CEO leader who casts the vision and rallies and motivates the people to carry out that vision. Greg Ogden in Unfinished Business, that's a book that you wrote, by the way, proposed that pastors should be a visionary leader who builds other leaders, casts the vision, changes the culture, structures the church with an eye for missions, evangelism, and spiritual numerical growth. Sounds great, right? There's a few problems here. However fresh and insightful or useful both of those viewpoints are, they're weak theologically. Now hang with me for a few minutes. In the older model as absolute servant caregiver, it doesn't lend itself well to church growth in society and culture today because one man can't minister that well doing that much in that short a time with, let's just say, a group this size, 125 to 135 people, okay? 
It's, it's physically impossible. You will burn that man out in a heartbeat. The second thing is, it's, it's inconsistent. It's a role that's inconsistent with a principle as the priesthood of all believers. Now, what I mean by the priesthood of all believers? What I mean by that is every member is a minister. Every individual, and I'm saying this in a new members class, every member has a function and a purpose in the body. Scripturally, it tells us that over and over and over again. You know why I think he tells us that so much? Because we don't get it. The second thing, the newer model of the CEO leader, combining some biblical principles with the inspirational leadership of today's business practices, that causes another issue. It reveals several dangers. First, it reveals that people may follow the leadership of a more charismatic man than the biblical principles that are placed in the Bible. That's dangerous. The second thing is it focuses primarily just on the needs of that local church. They don't branch out into the community. They don't branch out into the world, globally perhaps. So those are some things that cause problems. Listen, these models will, they have to be blended together, but they also have to have some boundaries. So as we look at this, I want you to understand something. What we're looking for, I hope, in all of our mindsets, is a healthy church. A healthy church physically, spiritually, mentally, all the way across the board as much as possible. That's going to take work on everybody's part. It's not just one person's job. The role of the pastor should be based on biblical mandates and models that have a strong theological foundation. In order to separate fact from fiction, we have to look at some scriptures. And we have to get real right down to the basics. So as we look at this, I want you to listen carefully. Now, some churches have no pastor at all. Now, what do I mean by that? They have individuals in the congregation perform different duties. And they're typically led by elders or deacons, trustees, and but they don't have actually a pastor or a bishop, a bishop might fill the role as a pastor, okay? But we're going to look at the term pastor because in our denomination, in our church, that's what we look to as the pastor, that terminology. So we're going to spell that out. Paul said Jesus gave to the church in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 this. He said some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers were equipping the saints for the work of ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Okay? Now, you stick with me for a little bit. Each particular office is preceded by that word some, with the exception of pastors and teachers. Pastors and teachers are connected with a little conjunction, the little word and. That word ties those two offices together. And it's a title. It's an office. It doesn't mean that the pastor is any better than you. It doesn't mean that you're any less than the pastor. Okay? Like I said a few weeks ago, we're all in the same storm. We may not all be in the same boat. We're all in the same storm. All right? That singular office, those dual roles, the pastor is supposed to be a teacher, an equipper, and a shepherd and a leader. 
Now hear me out. Anyone we choose needs to have those characteristics. All right? Look, the church's primary mission is what? The church's primary mission is to bring people to Jesus. And then after we bring them to Jesus, we're to mentor them, we're to disciple them to maturity. We're to baptize them, to bring them into the fellowship, and then move them to maturity. To get started with this, the early church, to get started with the Great Commission, they did some things. They had the Great Commission and they had the Great Commandment, right? The Great Commandment is where it all has to start individually. The Great Commission is what we do corporately. Okay? Now, stick with me. Acts 2.42 says, Continued steadfastly, the early church did this, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. They stayed together. 1 Timothy 3, 1 and 7 talks about some of the qualifications and some of the things that a pastor needs to be as far as himself. It says this, here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him. Ezra, you listen to that? <laughs> if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Titus has a few more qualifications in regard to an overseer or elder. It says an elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who are oppose it. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4 says, To the elders among you. Now, now Peter is, is speaking to other elders, but he says, I'm also an elder. I appeal to you as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's suffering, and one who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock. Underline that word, shepherd. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, serving as overseers, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So here's the situation. The Bible talks about multiple leaders within the church. He basically talks about the plurality, if you would, of pastors, elders, and deacons, 
bishops in some cases. We see it in James, Titus, 1 Peter, Acts. Do you realize some brethren churches believe that there should be many pastors within the church? Now, most of them act in the role as elders or deacons, as we would know them today. But they all tend to share in the duties of administration, spiritual care, and preaching and teaching. The Presbyterian Reformed Church believes in ruling elders and teaching elders. They have both elders, but the ruling elders take care of all the administration and spiritual care of the congregation, where the teaching elder takes care of the preaching and teaching duties. Now, we as Baptists are independents. Some other denominational churches, they basically believe in multiple staff members that carry the title of pastor. Now, think about this. We have a lead pastor or a senior pastor. We have a youth pastor. We may have a pastor of music. Sometimes it's called a minister of music. All those different titles. But if we really think about it, those all function under the title of pastor, but actually they're acting more as elders or leaders or deacons, those type of situations. All right? The task of the elder in every single scenario that we just mentioned is to rule and help rule the church to help with the administration help take care of those duties okay it implies there's a statement in there that says the elder shall rule his family well that implies that that's a that's a requirement if they can't take care of their family and rule their family well and manage their family how are they going to manage a much bigger situation so that's something that we need to make sure we understand look at first peter 5 1 and 2 again he says to the elders which are among you i exhort who am also an elder and a witness to the sufferings of christ also partake of the glory that shall be revealed feed the flock feed the flock underline that word feed that's another important word of God which is among you, taking oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, that's money, but of a ready mind. Listen, the title of a pastor has a little different meaning than bishop or elder or deacon. So when we're looking for that individual, you need to make sure that you're wanting God's will in this, as was said earlier, but we also want to understand what that word means. Listen, the Hebrew word for pastor literally means one who tends the flock, one who takes them out to the pastor, P-A-S-T-U-R-E, to help feed them, to nurture them, to water them, to tend to them, to care for them, to protect them. The translated word is shepherd, shepherd, or herdsman, okay? And we talked about this when we were looking back months ago, what the shepherd's duty were with the flock. They were to protect that flock. They were to act as the guardsmen, if you would, when that flock was brought in the fold at night. There wasn't gates and things like that. Where there wasn't gates, they were to lay, put themselves in between those enemies that would come in 
and those predators would come in and try to attack the flock. That's part of the pastoral duties. And some of that takes place, and the flock doesn't even know about it. So you need to understand that. That's part of the shepherd's duties. The New Testament refers to shepherd over and over and over again. The pastoral role is to teach. Look at, again, Ephesians 4.12, the main purpose of the pastor. Again, same office, preach and teach. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, and for edifying the body of Christ. Listen, I'm not here to bring you guys down each week. I'm here to edify you and build you up. So that you can go out and face all this ridiculous junk we got going on in the world. Because by the end of the week, you're tired, you are out, you need some edification and building up. You get it beaten down enough outside. You don't need somebody that's going to browbeat you with what you're doing wrong. Now, if you're doing something wrong and it comes to our attention, we may talk to you privately. We've done that. Not, I don't like it, but we've done it. The main biblical responsibility of a pastor is leadership. Leadership. Listen, the pastor of a church is the under-shepherd of Christ. We just read it in those scriptures. It's vital that churches ensure that whoever they choose meet the qualifications from Timothy and Titus. That way they will know the pastor's role is to lead the church to accomplish what God has given the church to accomplish. It's his church. It's not the pastor's church. A pastor individually should first take to heart the great commandment. Love the God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Then love others as yourself. And then they must take corporately to heart the great commission. We're to go into all the world and preach and teach the gospel. But see, the pastor's roles are a little di di different than the congregation's role. The congregation's role is to bring the people in. The pastor's role is to preach the message and the word over and over again so it finally sinks in and they decide to make that life-changing decision. We all have to work at it. The pastor is responsible to see that Christ is reflected in his life and, his, and the lives of the congregation as much as they will allow it. That's the problem. That's, that's the process. We are to make sure as pastors that we, as a whole, collectively reach the mission field. That can be in your family. That can be your neighbor. That can be in your workplace, in your volunteer place. It really doesn't matter. It, the mission field is all around us. And then we're to make sure that those new disciples come in, those new converts, they get discipled, and they are lifelong followers of Jesus Christ. That's part of the pastoral role. So the pastor's primary role is this, to train, motivate, equip the congregation to effectively, Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, I want you to hear me here. And I do not believe we are in this particular place. But for those that are listening outside, they may be. If a church is trained to expect the pastor to do everything, then there's a problem. How will they ever learn to use their spiritual gifts and know the joy of serving in ministry 
and know the challenges of serving in ministry. What's more, if the pastor focuses on the bigger picture of multiplying and duplicating what he's doing in his life to the congregation, and that congregation is in turn doing that same thing outside the walls of these buildings, then he is multiplying everything that's taking place. And he is serving much more people than if he just served the people within the church. You understand what I'm saying? You're awful quiet. More people will actually be served and helped when the pastor does what the pastor is supposed to do and allowed to do that. Not only is the pastor's role focused on that mobilization and that multiplication, it has to be focused on protection of the flock. Protection of the flock. The early church, in the very early church, who were the first pastors? The apostles. All the apostles. Now look at what the apostles said in Acts 6, 2, and 4. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention in prayer and ministry of the word. Look, again, I don't think we have much of that issue here. The day-to-day ministry That's why we need small groups. That's why we need deacons. The day-to-day ministry and taking care of individual members should be the deacon and elders' responsibility along with each one of you. And you guys do a fabulous job of that. If somebody's sick, if somebody's out, somebody is usually trying to make contact with them. I hear about it and see about it. And and there's a misnomer. I want you guys to understand this. Every once in a while, somebody will come along and say, wasn't it your job to know everything? No. I do not know about half of the stuff that goes on around here until after it happens. And that's fine because it's getting taken care of. The way I usually hear about it is, did you know so-and-so was here and -and so-and-so was there? And and this group of guys or this, this group of gals came to their aid and ministered to them. That's the way it should be. And you guys do a great job at that. And I want you to continue to do a job at that. But whoever steps into the senior pastor's role, I don't want you to change what you're doing in regard to that. I want you to make sure you understand what their role and responsibilities are. The details of day-to-day ministry have to be, that's why they elected those first deacons. That's where church staff and volunteers come in today in our body. The deacons and elders have stepped forward and taken care of those, those ministries and, and those type of things. And I appreciate that immensely because that takes a load off of me. That gives me more time to study God's word. That gives me more time to pray for you. That gives me more time to pray for the community. All those things. And that's where the senior pastor should be. The pastor has to devote himself to prayer. That's part of the protection of the church. It's not just physical protection, but a spiritual protection. Paul instructs Timothy to be wary of those false teachers that are going to come in. Now, here's where it gets a little sticky sometimes. Not only are we being attacked from outside the church, 
But occasionally we'll have people that come inside the church in sheep's clothing and they will try to attack the church from within. That's something else that the pastor unfortunately has to deal with or should deal with. I'll put it that way. A pastor who's not regularly in the scriptures, studying the scriptures, is not going to be nearly as effective as one who is not in the scriptures on a regular basis. The pastor must also protect the flock from those who attack from within. Those divisions that take place. Sometimes it's people within the congregation that'll start out with situations that they'll engage in a little gossip, maybe a little slander, and you sprinkle in some rumors and some XFs complaining, and what have you got? Problems. Look at what Philippians 2, 2 and 4 says. Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. And he goes on in 14 and 15 and says, Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a crooked and depraved generation in which you shine like stars in the universe. Listen, when you take on those attributes and you can do everything without complaining and grumbling and arguing, then you're really demonstrating your child of God. But unfortunately, the pastor must deal with those issues also. And what hopefully he does it with the help of other leaders in the church. But we have seen it in the past where sometimes that doesn't take place. In some cases, divisive members must be reprimanded and in the most dire instances, removed. Look at what Titus 3.10 says. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Warn the divisive person once and then warn him a second time. After that, have nothing to do with him. Seems a little harsh, right? But... Look at what you're supposed to do first. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. Listen, there's biblical mandates on how to handle problems inside the church, how to handle problems outside the church. If we would just follow those guidelines, we could resolve a lot of conflict and a lot of problems very easily up front. But why does it happen? I don't know why it doesn't happen, but most of the time it causes problems because we don't do it this way. Just between the two of you, go show him his fault. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if he will not listen, take one or two others along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. Now look, you cannot take your two best buds with you. You want to take somebody that's neutral and is going to be open, honest, and fair. If he refuses to listen to them, then tell it to the church. Uh-oh. And if he refuses to listen to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. You remember how those guys were treated, right? They were like the leper. Unclean, unclean. Here's, here's a question we need to ask ourselves as a church member, as a part of this body of believers. Will you support and affirm your pastor no matter who it is? Will you carry out your duties as a member that you should? 
Are you going to support them in their God-given role or not? Are you going to be one of those members that cause problems and whine and complain and argue and fuss and fight and cause gossip and slander? You have to decide. But remember, if you have a strong enough spiritual pastor and you start doing that, you may get those reprimands. You have to think about that. Listen, the first place we see the word in pastor is actually in the Old Testament. It's in Jeremiah. Here's the problem. The priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, all those, all those religious leaders, they weren't doing what they were told to do. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. And poor old Jeremiah, he comes along and the Lord says, you've got to go talk to these people. You've got to talk to the priests and all the spiritual leaders, and then you've got to talk to the people. But listen to what he had to say in Jeremiah 10, 21. The shepherds, the shepherds, the pastors, are senseless and do not inquire of the Lord. So they do not prosper, and all their flock is scattered. Uh-oh. Jeremiah 23, 1 and 2 says this, Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pastor, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. The very first duty of a, personal, of a, of a pastor personally is to live their life as a godly man. These pastors, shepherds, were not doing that. They were supposed to maintain a right relationship with God. They did not. That's the first and primary thing of a pastor. They have to have a right relationship with God so they can demonstrate and be the example to the congregation as that relationship, in regard to that relationship. Look at this. Luke 6, 12. Look at, look at Jesus. What did Jesus do? Think about this. One of those days, Jesus... On one of those days, Jesus went out to the mountainside to pray and spent the night praying to God. In Luke 6, 12. After he dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening come, he was there alone. Mark says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary pray place where he prayed. Listen. Jesus was actually in touch with the Father all the time. Every minute of every day of every hour. He was praying without ceasing. And because of that, I believe he received the grace and the power that he needed to be effective in everything he did. When a pastor leads a life of prayer and follows Jesus, the under-shepherd, and is intentional about his discipleship and his spiritual formation and transformation, I believe that great success will come to that body of believers. Not necessarily great success to the pastor. That's not his job. That's not his purpose. That shouldn't be his focus. Listen, they can. God challenge, challenges these people now. Jeremiah talking to the priest. But now he's got to go talk to the people. He challenges the priest to do what's right. And now he's going to challenge the people to do what's right. Look at what he says. Jeremiah 3, 12, 15. Go proclaim this message towards the north. 
Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will frown on you no longer, for I am merciful, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your guilt. You have rebelled against the Lord your God. You have scattered your favors to foreign gods under every spreading tree and have not obeyed me, declares the Lord. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. I will choose you, one from a town, two from a clan, and bring you to Zion. Then I will give your shepherds after my own heart. He says, look, these other shepherds, they're, they're, they're worthless. They're out. I'm bringing in a different shepherd, a different kind of shepherd that's going to be a shepherd after my own heart. He says, who will lead you with knowledge and understanding? Jeremiah 23, 3-5 says, I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I've driven them and will bring them back to their pastor. P-A-S-T-U-R-E. What is it with a pastor? A pastor is a calming place. A pastor is a cure place. A pastor is a place that is protected. That's what the sanctuary and the place of God is about. He says, where they will be fruitful and increase in number. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them, and they will no longer be afraid or terrified. That's key. Again, the pastor's primary role is to help build up the body, encourage them, strengthen them, and give them the power and encouragement and will to go out and face all this crazy stuff we've got to face in the world each day. Nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up to David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. Who's he talking about? Jesus! The pastor is to preach the gospel. He's to preach the gospel. Jesus preached often, always proclaiming the word of God and the kingdom of God, that it was coming. Matthew 9.35 says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom. Listen, Jesus taught the people almost every day. Once he started his public ministry, he was up and running. He was giving guidance through the word. He was giving assurance through the word. He was calling them to confession of their sins. And he was allowing them to experience a transformed life. That's part of the purpose of a pastor. The ministry of the word always leads to transformed life. Listen, there's power in the word of God. Amen? The word brings us to spiritual health and meaningful change. The pastor should always help to lead the people to better understanding and knowledge of the word. Look at what this says. God's word gives us life. Philippians 2.16 says, As you hold out the word of life, God's word can make us righteous. Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain, 1 Corinthians says. God's word can produce growth. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Listen, God doesn't want us to be spiritual babies all our lives. He wants us to grow up. He wants us to get up and get out and do what he's called us to do. God's word also sanctifies us. 
It sets us apart. Now they know that everything you have given me comes from you. You are a chosen people. You are set apart as a Christian today. But many of us don't live that way because we're fearful of what the world is throwing at us. And it beats us down and beats us up. God's word gives us wisdom. It said, your commands make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. Listen, those enemies may come and go, but God's commandments in our life should never come and go. Paul reminds Timothy that the whole of Scripture is divine and inspired and profitable. Look at what he says in 2 Timothy 3.16. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's everything that the Word of God gives us. We often need spiritual renewal more than we need head knowledge. Some of you have tremendous head knowledge, and I praise God for that. But we need spiritual renewal. We need strengthening and encouraging every time we have to get out there in the world. That's why we urge you guys and encourage you guys to be a part of a small group so you encourage one another, pray for one another, and love one another. You see the theme, the theme on the songs today? Did you guys get it? It's love. Love one another. Love God. Love each other. It was there. If you missed it, I'm sorry. Pay attention. Listen. When Jesus preached, he didn't preach sociology. He didn't preach politics. He didn't preach psychology. He preached the word of God. Now, I've been taking the task three different instances for not being more political up here. Listen, I'm telling you right now, I'm not going to do it. So, if that's a problem for you, I'm sorry. Listen, Jesus had the power and authority. The pastor has to be a godly leader in order to have that power and authority. The Bible says this of Jesus. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus loved people. Jesus understood that people mattered to God. Their salvation mattered to God. He said he came to seek and save what was lost. He showed them his sympathy. He helped take care of their needs. He ministered to them. And then he won their confidence over. And then they were willing to listen to him more. And he was able to lead them into the kingdom of God, his father's house. That's what we're supposed to be doing as a church. Christ built relationships that met needs. He also showed sympathy all throughout his ministry. He went into the areas where there were their daily vocations were. He went to the places where some people wouldn't go to minister to others. Listen, when we build relationships and when we meet needs, it's going to allow us to open that door and be able to invite people in in a much better way. His concern was not with programs or processes. 
his concern and his, his, his theology, if you would, methodology to theology was pouring himself into these 12 men. Think about that. He didn't pour himself into the multitudes. He poured himself into those 12 men. And he taught those 12 men what they needed to do to minister in order to draw others to him. That's what he did. The men were his method of winning the world to God. He says this in Luke 10 too, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. Jesus is basically saying, you know what? Guys, we need more workers. The fields are ripe for harvest. So guess what? Go out and get the workers. Bring in more disciples, and then we'll have more workers. He's basically telling them very flat, very straight, very forward, you know, this is a need, and we need to do that. God says our role is to pray for those new harvesters, then go get them. Listen, a pastor should live a life of service and sacrifice. Service and sacrifice. He has to be, Jesus was a servant leader. The pastor has to be a servant leader. That's the biblical basis. Any study in Christian uh, leadership, for any role in Christian leadership, would be shortcoming if, if we didn't talk about this for a second. Mark 10, 45, Jesus says of himself, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And in Luke twenty two twenty seven, he says, But I am among you as one who serves. Listen, the king of the whole universe, I want you to process this for just a second. The king of the whole universe didn't come before us to be served. He wasn't into self-glorification. He wasn't into self-gratification. He wasn't into power, and he wasn't into control. He was into serving the people. But he had to have that leadership role. That's the same thing a pastor has to have, no matter who it is. He was into service, and he was into ministry. He gave his life. He sacrificed his life for us on the cross. Can you imagine the sacrifice that he paid and the sacrifice that his father paid by sending him to the cross and allowing him to go to the cross and die for your sins and mine? The ultimate price was paid. Luke 19.10 once again says, The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. The pastor's role is to instill that value into the congregation. To seek and to save what is lost. What does that sacrificial role mean? I'm going to tell you what I think it means. It manifests itself in a couple of different ways. It manifests itself in the giving of time, talent, resources, and gifts and abilities. The second way it manifests itself is sacrificially. Sacrifice. Paul's ministry was all about being a pastor. You think about it. He was a traveling pastor, but he was still a pastor. Pastors are described as men who are devoted to their wives, always watching, sober, good behavior, hospitable, 
being teachers, not drinkers, not abusers, not fighters, not in a position just for personal gain. More personally, they are to be patient, they are to be kind, they are to be able to rule their home well, and they are to be able to make sure that they're not immature in their spiritual life. They're to be devoted and have a good reputation. Those are some of the qualifications of a pastor. And based on those qualifications, they should have a heart to feed and lead. They have to make sure they feed that flock with knowledge and understanding of God's word. It's absolutely imperative. If the pastor does that, because of that, the flock will not be afraid, they will not be dismayed, and they'll not be disillusioned. Listen, Paul reinforced this when he spoke about Acts in Acts 20, verses 17 through 32. I'm not going to read them, but I'm just going to give you the highlights of them that are on the very end of your outline. When he, God challenged them and Paul challenged them with these thoughts, he detailed the following duties of a pastor and he gave them these thoughts. He says, the pastor's duty is God challenged them again. Jesus challenged them. He says, to preach the word of God, to watch over the pastor's life as well as the flock's lives. They're to be an example of the church, to oversee the flock by relying on the gifting power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, it's not through the man's power. It's through the gift of the Holy Spirit and the power of God that anything gets done. He is to be a shepherd to the congregation. He's to feed the body, provide discipleship, teaching them to live like Christ. He's to be a teacher to remember that they were purchased with the blood of Christ. It's to remind us over and over again where our strength, where our nourishment comes from. To be a theologian, to watch out for those who would come into the flock like wolves, perverting God's word in any way in an effort to lead people astray. And it's to protect the flock, emotionally, spiritually, all those ways. He has to be invested into that body of believers so that he will protect them. He should be dedicated to prayer, warn everyone where possible, and keep them spiritually safe. And then lastly, he's to be a loving leader. He's to follow and demonstrate to the body the great commission and the great commandment in order to fulfill the five functions of the church, which is magnifying God through worship, ministering, demonstrating God's love through service, mission, communicating God's word through evangelism, adding to our membership by incorporating people into God's family through fellowship, and I should say baptism, and then bringing them to maturity through discipleship. Does he do all those things alone? No. No. It's a corporate effort of every member that's in that body of believers. Every single member. Listen, the duties, we see the duties of a pastor perfectly in Jesus' life. And he made those under-shepherds, those apostles, his under-shepherds. That's what a pastor is today. He is an under-shepherd of Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, if there's anyone here this morning that, that doesn't understand all that we're talking about here, I pray that they would talk to us and let us know that. But if there's someone here that was touched today by, by a word or a song that wants to come to know you in a personal way, that wants to be close to you and become their child, I pray that you would have them come forward this morning. If there's someone that needs to follow you in baptism, that maybe is, has made the decision to accept you as Savior and Lord, but who hasn't given their life in a, in a complete way through that first act of obedience of baptism. We want to share with them why it's important to be baptized in the same way Jesus was baptized. And Father, if there's anyone here that is here this morning and maybe they've been on the fence, they just can't decide if they want to be a member or not be a member. We pray, Lord, that you would encourage them to make that decision today. Father, we love you and we praise you. We just thank you for all the gifts that you give us, all the things that you allow us to do, all the places you allow us to serve. And I pray, Lord, that this body of believers would be strengthened by the understanding of what the role of a pastor really is, that they would take these things to heart and apply them in such a way that they are stronger members of this body, stronger participants in your word. And Father, we just lift all these things up to you in prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. If you can and would, stand with me, please.
Aideen? Aideen, all right. Aideen Brooks is coming this morning, and she'd like to join the church and be baptized. Um, so we're going to have her, we're going to let you everybody sit down for just a second, and we're going to have her stand at the front. Go ahead and sit down for a second. No, just sit down for a second. Um, and then we're going to have you stand up, and then we'll have folks come by and greet you. But I do want to tell you guys a couple of things. Please don't forget, if you did not get a survey, to get a survey. And also, we're going to add more paper fodder to your madness. Um, today, and we've been working on this for quite a few months, um, the deacons and trustees and the stewardship team and several other people, and I forgot my other list. I don't know where's that. Um, you, have, you have three documents that are paper clipped together. You have number one, for the sake of absolute transparency, I thought about this, and I debated about it for the last month off and on. We have printed out a profit and loss statement for our church for the first nine months of this year. Last month, we had a uh, – last, last month. Last year, we had a tremendous amount of diff, different expenses. We had to replace some roofs and a couple of furnaces and heating units and air conditioners. Um, this year, we've had the same. The building – this building is over 25 years old but we have been very frugal with your money. And I want you to understand that as you look at that, um, that profit and loss statement, it's the one with the smaller numbers because uh, there's more of it. Um, look at the very back page. You are still in the black. We are not in the red. I know some people have been very concerned about that. Um, you guys have been very gracious with your giving. Those that are watching online or listening and by audio are, are now I understand that we're live streaming, are also being able to give and contribute. Many people contribute that don't come, which we very much appreciate that. And uh, that helps keep the church going. But if you're watching online and you want to pack it with this information on it, you need to contact the church office for us, please and let us know, okay? So you have a profit and loss statement for the first nine months of this year. You have a proposed budget for next year. Now this, I want you to understand something. This is a living, breathing document, this proposed budget. If we don't get what we propose in this budget, then we cannot spend what's not in that budget, okay? But if we get it, then we propose to spend it in this way. Now the reason we are up on the profit and loss is we have not been paying a senior pastor's salary, okay? So part of that money was that. Now, something that we haven't done that m maybe next year sometime we'll do is the property was paid off before Pastor Jay passed away. So we haven't had a land payment or a property payment. We haven't been paying a senior pastor. So the funds that are coming in, but we are rapidly eating up those funds, repairing things and replacing things in this building, okay, and trying to bring the property back up to where it should be. So be patient with us as, as, as we can get those things scheduled and as we can find workers and get the equipment. There's still supply chain shortages and all this weird stuff taking place, but we're, we're getting stuff done, but it's just taking us a little longer than what we hoped, okay? But, and then the third thing is you have a, and I, I don't know where my copy went, a per, uh, um, recommendations from the leadership enlistment team in regard to our new church officers 
and new teachers and ministry leaders for this upcoming year. Now, some of those, through necessity, we have had to move people in those positions because other people have stepped down and they no longer want to continue in those positions. So some of those positions, those people are already working in those newer positions. Some of those positions, the people that were in those positions are still fulfilling those positions. So what I'd like to do is for you to take this packet, take it home and look at it all. And if you have questions, now here's the challenge. If you have a lot of questions or a lot of concerns, I want you to call during the week. And if I'm not here, leave a message, I will call you back. And we will answer as many of those questions as possible before we come back next week. And then we'll have a brief, brief, between, brief, <laughs> between, between worship and Bible study, discussion time for those that you don't normally stay for Bible study. We want to encourage you to do that. But if you don't normally stay, we want you to stay at least for that discussion so that any of these questions that need to be answered, and in the third week, we'll vote on it, okay? We're going to try to make it simple, but we want to try to do it in a timely fashion as much as possible, too, okay? Now, if you've got questions, call the office. I will call you back if I'm not here, okay? If you need that question, ask in public. You just don't want to talk to me or you want to answer by somebody else. Come to church next week. Ask the question during that time because we still want to do Bible study. We have changed the picnic to the 23rd, not the 16th. And because we want to be good stewards of your money, uh, they changed some of the requirements at the parks. And it, we had to have workman's comp insurance to go to the park to the tune of $2 million. Our insurance company would not allow us to buy just a quarter's worth of insurance. We had to pay for the whole year. So it made it really cost absorbent to go to the park to do a one-time event. So we decided to do it here, on site, okay? So it's gonna be, it's gonna be a little more challenging. We're gonna have a sign-up uh, sheet in the back by next week for you to sign up to help in certain areas. We're gonna need setup, we're gonna need breakdown, we're gonna need because we're going to put chairs and tables along the outside of the walls, and, and we're going to set up some games and get some things going here for the kids. And uh, we're going to need guys to help cook and grill. And, I mean, same, same scenarios we do normally for the picnic, but we're going to have to do it here, okay? I don't, I don't think we – I want to be good stewards of God's money, and I know you guys do too. So with that said, hey, Dean. And Miss Debbie, stand out here for a moment. Please come by before you leave. And let Aideen know that you welcome her, and we will go ahead and get her baptism set up in the next week or so and see how that is. So come by and welcome her if you would. Thank you guys so much. You all do a great job. Love it. All right. Well, let's, let's stand together and sing Jesus Loves Even Me.